And Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be, and we're going to be considering the parable of the sower this morning, a very familiar passage of Scripture. If you've been in church at any time whatsoever, the, the first 20 verses take in this, this storyline. So uh, we're going to go ahead and read them and then kind of kick things off. So let's read the Word of God together. It says in Mark chapter 4, verse 1, And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude. There's that word multitude again that we considered last time I was with you. The throng was there, the rabble, if you will. And so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty and some sixty and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they had heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they that likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word of God, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it become unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Amen to the Word of God. I titled this message this morning, Dreaming Big. Because you can come away with this with two different outlooks the way I see it. You can come away with kind of a, kind of, kind of makes you sad because there's so much wasted seed. There's so much unproductive soil out there. You know, only one out of four, if you will. 
fell on good ground. You can look at it that way. You can kind of look at it from a pessimistic viewpoint. But I, I'd rather look at it from a positive outlook. Because, you see, I'm only responsible for being faithful to go sow. Now, as a farmer, growing up on a farm, this, this passage of Scripture is very familiar to me. And there's, there's always a danger in familiarity. Would you agree with me on that? We get so accustomed to the things that are, we're familiar with that many times we overlook things, we take things for granted, we, we get complacent, we get a little... So I wanted to be very careful in studying this week for this word because I didn't want to just mail this in. I have preached this passage of Scripture many times through the years. But I want you to know I didn't get out some old notes and... and glance over them. I want you to know I read this passage of Scripture several times last week and I sat down and said, God, show me something fresh that I can give your people a fresh word. And so that's what I did. And you know, this, this passage of Scripture blesses me so greatly. And I hope it blesses you. Because I want this church, I want you as an individual, and I want this church family to dream big. Not looking back on the past, only looking back on the past to give God glory for what He's done in your life already. Amen? But looking to the future because God's not through with you yet. You may say, well, I'm 85 years old, brother. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are, God has a great purpose and plan for your life. You may retire from your earthly vocation, but you never retire from service to God until you draw your last breath and go to stand in His presence. It just doesn't happen. There is no retirement plan for the Christian. You're, in the presence, you're either in the servants of God, service of God or you're in the presence of God. Amen? And that's the way it is. But I want to take a look at this dreaming big this morning. And if you notice in our first opening verse, it says that there was such a great multitude there that he got in a ship and he sat in the sea so that the whole multitude could hear what he was saying. In other words, he constructed a, a natural amphitheater. He's out on the water. You know how voices carry on the water? I can hear my wife, Lisa, from three miles away without water, without an amphitheater, without a megaphone, in the midst of a hurricane, her voice just carries. And so I can just imagine the Lord Himself, the, the King of glory, seated out there in that ship, on that water, and His voice projecting to hundreds, if possibly, possibly thousands. We don't know how many were there, but they were all clearly hearing his instruction. And it says that he taught them by parables. Now, that's what I want to tell you about first thing, is the mystery of teaching by parables. The mystery of teaching by parables. He, he told them later on there was a reason I did this. Remember what he said? He said, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but for them, 
I'm teaching them in parables because if this whole generation believes in me and trusts in me, you and I are doomed as Gentiles. Can, do you get that picture? If they had received him, as they should have, if they had all believed and trusted in him as their Messiah, you and I are doomed. <laughs> because if he didn't die on the cross for us and rise from the dead, we're all still in our sins, right? So there was a grand purpose in all of this, but he does this, he teaches them in parables, and I told, I've explained this to you, and I know you know what this is, but a parable is basically an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's, that's all it is. He would take something common that was common knowledge to all those in that community and he would lay alongside of, that's what that, the, the first part of the para, uh, parable or parallel, it means to lay alongside of. He was laying alongside of all this stuff that goes on down here on earth that we all know. He would lay alongside of that strong spiritual truths. And so he's teaching them in this parable and the first thing that I think of when I think about this parable is it's practical. It's just as practical as it can be because if you don't go sow the seed, you're never going to have a harvest. Amen? You know, there's a lot of individual Christians and a lot of entire congregations that are sitting around bemoaning their own demise and they've never gone out into the community and sown the seed of the gospel in people's lives. Friends, if all we do is come in here and we don't take it out there, we will never grow beyond ourselves. There will never be a harvest. If I keep this to myself, if I keep the seed in the bag, if I never go sow, if I never go broadcast, but I expect multitudes to come to me, I've got it all wrong. So it, it must be practical. And he told a story in such a way as to pique their interest. You know what? We, we engage all kind of people out there in this world for instance, this past week, uh, I, don't, I know I don't look like it, but I do work out on a regular basis. Lisa and I are members at the Glenwood Wellness Center, and I've even gotten to going into these classes like these ladies take and stuff. There's men in there too. There's men in there too. And I tell you what, shoot, they can kill you. I'm kind of like an old mule. I, I go until I, I, I'm about ready to die, and then I just sit down and quit. But there was a lady in there in our class this past week, and uh, she was from Germany. And her first name is Anya. And I know an Anya from Ukraine in all my years that I used to go over there and do mission work with my friend over there. And uh, I was just saying that. And the, the instructor in the class is a, my one of my best friend's wife. And she's over there behind her kind of. And so I, I go over there, and she says, uh, she's... She's anti-Christian. And I was like, well, good deal. Amen. You're either for him or you're against him, right? Finally, somebody who's honest and, and will just admit, if I'm not with him, I'm against him. So I said, I'm not going to be obnoxious. I'm not going to be a horse's backside. 
But she is going to know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And can't, can't but help it. If He's in your life, He's going to come out. It's just, it's just the way it is. Who am I to hide what I am? You're anti-Christian, but I'm pro-Christian. I like Jesus. I love Him. He loves me. You can build a bridge and get over it if you don't like it. But you see, what Jesus was so good at and, and what we believers need to get better at is interjecting the gospel through our lives without being obnoxious and without being critical and judgmental. Because you see, a lot of Christians are a bigger stumbling block than they are a help to the lost world. Would you agree with that? We can get, we can get really, really legalistic and, and just, just outright unloving to a lost and dying. And we don't want to do that by, by no stretch of the imagination. But neither are we told to keep our mouth shut. Our lifestyle and our speech ought to pique the interest of lost people. I believe that with all my heart. But another thing, this parable was powerful. It spoke to those people because this sower that's going out to sow, we're, we're about to talk about him, he believed in the power of that seed. He believed that lives could be changed. He believed that there was going to be a benefit come from his labor. He knew that if he didn't do this, there would be no life. You know, sometimes as farmers, we forgot, me and my daddy, we were so busy in the labor that we forgot what a miracle farming is and what life is. Have you ever watched an old cow out in the pasture have a calf? I've, I pulled them. We've been out there. You had to pull some of them, help them a little bit. New births are always just so special. And that little feller stands up on his wobbly little legs and mama licks him off, dries him up. She do, how do they do it? They just naturally do all those things. It's just a miracle of God. You stick that little seed in the ground, that little dried up, dead looking object, you stick it in the warm dirt, and a few days later something green comes out. That's a miracle. And you take an old, cold, dead heart that doesn't want to know God, but you let the Holy Spirit of God get down in there. And do that life change. If you've sown the seed of the gospel in someone's life, you can just watch God change someone's life. It's a miracle. I believe that lady from Germany can be saved. Don't you? You see, I, I, don't, I don't hate her. I don't even dislike her. She just doesn't know my Lord. That's all. The devil's got blinders over her eyes, but you know what? The Holy Spirit of God can rip those blinders off and she can see her need for a Savior and be born again. It's a powerful message that we have. But let's go on. Let's take a look at the sower. It says in verse 3 there, there went out a sower to sow. And by the way, Jesus says two words in here that we need to pay a little bit of attention to. He said, hearken, and behold, in this old King James, and what it means is, hearken means just to give audience, to listen. But the, the second word, behold, is, a is an imperative. It's like, listen to me. Hear what I'm about to say. This is important. 
And you need to hear me. He says, look at the sower. The sower went out to sow. The first thing I think about when I think about a farmer or someone who sows, he's hopeful. He's a visionary. He's got to be. Because only a fool would farm in today's economy. Amen. You're spending millions of dollars in the hope of a little bit of return. But you know why we do it? Because we just love it. It's just who we are. It's what we do. I never, I never questioned our purpose in life when I was farming with my dad. I knew what I was doing. There were good times. There were bad times. There were times when we didn't think it was going to pay out. There were times that it was difficult. It was hard. But you know what? I got up every day with a sense of expectancy that God was going to do something. And he never failed us, not one time. And it's the same thing with the gospel. If you're not hopeful, you won't go do it. If you don't have a vision of what could be, you will never leave these doors and go out there and tell other people about Jesus. Many people don't. They don't have any hope. They don't have a vision. But another thing he was, he was diligent. You can't sit at the house and drink coffee and get, get the work done, right? And you can't leave it for somebody else. There's a lot of people that want to be supervisors. There's not many Indians out there. There's a lot of chiefs out there in today's world that want to point and say, you go do it. Pastor, you do it. Missionary, you do it. No, you do it. You do it. Everybody in this room is responsible for the gospel message. If you claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's your responsibility. One person can't do it all. And so he's diligent, but he's also confident in the power of the seed because you know what the difference is in a planter and a sower? A planter is someone who has a piece of equipment that specifically places seed in a row, so many seed per foot. All, I mean, it's an exact science in planting with a planter, but someone who is broadcasting, sowing, they are indiscriminately just casting seed. And you know why that sower wasn't worried about that seed that fell on the rocky soil or on the, on the, the pathway or, and all these other places in the briar patch? He believed in the power of the seed. And I believe in the power of the gospel to penetrate the hardest hearts. Do I want it to fall on good ground immediately? Absolutely. But can God make a way when there is no way? You bet He can. And if He wants to raise up a crop out of a briar patch, He's the man to talk to about doing it. So I don't pick and choose who gets to hear the gospel. I just indiscriminately, without malice, without forethought, I just go out there and share the good word. And if it sticks, it sticks. And if it doesn't, there's, not, there's no lack of supply on his part, amen? Just go on, dust your feet off, and go on to the next one. You see? He believes in the power of the seed, and if, if I don't believe in the power of the gospel, I've got no business preaching the gospel. I just happen to believe my God can do anything, and I trust him. But another thing, he labored with a sense of urgency. There's a season, there's a time and a season for everything, Amen? There's a time to plant, there's a time to reap, 
There's a time to rest. There's a time to go on. There's a time for everything. And we like to think we can do it at our leisure. Or we can do it when it's good for us. Or I'll, I'll put that off to another day. Friends, tomorrow never comes. And these farmers around here, any farmer anywhere in the world knows that there is a season in which you better plant. And if you go much beyond that, you're probably not going to have much of a crop. So when it's time to go, it's time to go. Make hay while the sun's shining, right? Because when the rains come, you're not going to get the hay. While we're here, while they're out there, we better be doing what Jesus told us to do. Because there's a day coming when the gospel will no longer be offered to a lost and dying world and He's going to judge this world. And friends, we don't want our, their blood on our hands. So that's a little look at the sower and let's move on very quickly. Let's look at the condition of the soil because it's not all the same, is it? And, and for time's sake, I'm going to just ask you to go uh, starting in verse 14 where at, obviously Jesus is, is explaining this parable to His disciples. So we can't, make, we can't get it any better than He does. The seed's the same. The seed has the power. The seed, there's no defect in the seed. It's all in the conditions of the soil. So he gives us who these people are, who these hearers are. He said uh, in verse 15, those that are by the wayside where the seed is sown, where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word sown in their heart. These are what I call the turn row hearers because that's what, that's what the, that old word is, that wayside. That was just the paths that they walked in the fields. And, and, and in today's world, basically, that was where you turn your tractor around at the end of the field. And you know how hard a turn row gets? Real compact. And there's, there's nothing much can grow there. It hasn't... It's been tilled up, but it's, been, it's just been packed down by all that turning around and all that driving at the end of the field and all that stuff. So it's just hard. And sometimes those seed will come up in there, but they won't last very long because they don't have the root system that goes down in there. And sucks up. And I've seen crows when we'd plant corn out on the turn row out there where the, 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 it was so hard and they'd just be laying on top of the ground. Them old crows and blackbirds would come through there and get that corn off them turn rows. I've seen them do it. That's a picture of Satan. You know who this person is? It's someone that's familiar with spiritual matters. Maybe even someone that goes to church every Sunday. But the Word of God has never really gotten down deep. They're, they're familiar. It's the pathway. They've, they've heard it. They've been there. They've done their religious things. On the, on the outside, they may look fine, but they've just heard it and heard it and heard it. It's, they're familiar with it, but it hasn't transformed their life. And there's many people out there like that. My wife was one of them. She'll tell you. She's got her own personal testimony. She'd been, she'd been a, a member of a church for 31 years, but she wasn't born again. She was very familiar with the, the Scriptures, with church, with how it functioned, all those things. She could tell you the doctrines, 
but it still didn't take root in her heart. And Satan had her believing she had something that she didn't. And there's people out there like that. And then this next here, he goes on to say, um, those that are on the stony ground, who have, they've heard the word and immediately receive it with gladness, but they don't have any roots, so they endure for a time, but then afterward when affliction or persecution rises, they immediately are offended. These are the hard-hearted hearers. These are people too that may or may not be in your church. They could be out in the world, but they could be in your church. They appear to have a depth about them, a perception about them, but underneath there's this, there's this hard heart. You know, when I was pastoring, my greatest issues didn't come from lost people. My greatest issues came from the very people I was loving on and trying to lead in the ways of God. Not everybody, of course, praise God. I pastored some wonderful people that I will love till the day I die, and I even love the hard-hearted ones, Amen. Because Jesus said I had to, but otherwise I probably wouldn't in my flesh. <laughs> but they were against everything that the church wanted to do. I think they came to church to gripe, to have something to gripe about. Write you little anonymous notes. Our pastor got an anonymous note after Easter Sunday. I won't go into all the details. After God was there, seven people got baptized. Somebody had to gripe. It might have been one of these stony ground hearers that didn't have any depth of birth. They appear to, on the surface to have it all together, but underneath there's this bedrock and only the Holy Spirit of God can penetrate it and blow it up and get rid of it. They're self-seeking, they're self-satisfied, they're shallow, but they want to be in everybody else's business and tell you how to do it. Jesus loves them too, amen? But you see, when the, when the persecution comes and when the afflictions come, they're offended. You know what that word means? It means to scandalize. In other words, they don't want to be part of the scandal of the cross. They don't want to die to themselves. They want self to look good. Jesus, you do all the dying. I want to look good. You can't have it both ways. I'm either dying to self or I'm crucifying Jesus afresh, but it can't be both ways. And then those thorny, uh, those that in the weeds and the thorns and all this stuff, those are the ones that I call the busy life hearers. They've got so much going on and so many decisions to make and so many different opportunities that they can take, such as money, fame, family, do you know that family can be a stumbling block to the Lord? You say, well, those are good things that got absolutely. But if family becomes your God, it's become a stumbling block and an idol. And nothing can come ahead of Jesus. Amen? Not even my own family. He comes first or He doesn't come at all. And there are so many people out there in our churches their lives are so consumed with all these other things that are pulling at them. And they're not necessarily evil. They could be good things, but if it, anything takes my focus off of my relationship with Jesus Christ, then we have issues. And there are many people out there in this world today that are concerned with all these other things, and they put Jesus on the back burner. 
And Jesus is standing and calling them, saying, come back. Don't get tangled up in all this mess. There's no fruit in being busy without me. Busyness won't save you. Jesus saves you. Amen? I don't have to do anything, praise God. I'm not worthy enough to do something that would gain me acceptance into heaven. It's all about the Lord. And then the last one, the good ground. That's what I call the broken one. He's broken in his heart. She's broken. She understands, this person understands that, hey, there's no good thing in me and it all comes from him. And so the field has been cultivated. It's the cultivated life. I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God. I'm, I'm hungry about spiritual matters. I'm not into the world. The world and its fads come and go, but I'm hungry for Jesus. I need more of Him. I'm not satisfied with trinkets and gadgets and all these other things. I need Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to this person, they don't just turn a deaf ear. They don't go on their merry way. They don't blame someone else for their problems. They get right with God immediately because they know if I don't repent and get right, there's something wrong and I'm not in fellowship with my Lord and I need that fellowship. So I'm just going to go ahead and confess it now and get rid of it. That's someone who's broken up, that keeps their life cultivated by the Spirit of God, that digs into the Word of God for themselves, doesn't have to be spoon-fed by their pastor. They're, They're looking themselves. They're seeking They're going on. And God says, you know what? Those people are going to be fruitful. They're going to bear fruit. There's also a reward system to that. Did you see that? He said some bear fruit 30-fold, 60, and 100. You know what we always sometimes forget out there? We want instant gratification in this day and age, don't we? Number one, we reap more than we sow. Thank God for that. So be faithful. Hang on. But we reap later than we sow. Amen? Be patient. Rome wasn't built in a day. I've heard that saying all my life. I didn't build Rome, but they said it took a long time, I guess. What God's doing in me, part of it happened instantly, but the rest of it, is a process, right? I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I'm going to be, but thank God I ain't who I used to be, amen? I used to be a knothead, not worthy to stand before the children of God and proclaim anything. He's done all of it, and He's still working on me. He's still working on you. So we reap later than we sow, and we also reap as individuals and corporately. See, each one of these soils represent an individual, but they also represent the local assembly, the church, a local church family. I can, I can go both ways with it because he's speaking to both. He's speaking to me as an individual because he said, some people that hear it are going to, they're going to, you know, it's going to be 30-fold. They're going to reap 30-fold, some 60 and some 100. Am I in a competition with someone? Nope. But it does mean that God rewards me as an individual. God's not a communist. Hallelujah. 
That, 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 uh, that'll preach in Washington, amen? God is not a communist. Whatever I sow, I will reap as an individual. But you know what? Whatever I get the benefit of benefits this local assembly as well. See, you get to rejoice with me, amen? Whatever it's good for me is good for you, right? And we can celebrate that together, amen? We don't have to be jealous of one another. Just because someone's gifted differently than I am doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use you for great and mighty things, because He does. And whatever I am, it's because of Him anyway, amen? It's not because of me. You're not who you are because of you. You're here by the grace and mercy of God, just like I am. So just plug in, allow the Lord to break up your fallow ground on a daily basis, and watch God do wonderful things in your life. If we're doing those things, there is no way that I could keep from being fruitful. No weapon formed against us shall prosper.